This is Out of the Boat, episode 10. Uh, joined with Jonathan again, and I'm Chris, and we are joined by, with Sister Butler, Sister Michelle Butler. And today she's going to give us her testimony, and we'll ask questions from there. So okay. whenever you feel free. All right. <laughs> so my testimony is about drugs and alcohol and just being bound and addicted for many years, and it started off when I was a young girl. And when I was a young girl, I was abused at home by a family member. And from there, from the time I can remember, the abuse had started. And wow. so by the time I was in the fifth grade, then the little family dirty secret came out. And I think that was probably worse than the abuse because that came along with rejection. Mm. And so instead, back in those days um, and in my family it was kind of a thing that whatever happens here is done here stays here and so they didn't really believe in reaching out you know to get help or anything like that mm -hmm. and so with all of that I was left with a lot of guilt and shame and just feeling really unworthy really nasty really dirty just all kind of things you know with my self-worth I struggled with but we weren't saved, and my father had a fully stocked bar. And so he would have parties downstairs in wow. our basement in this little bar that he had. And so I would see this, and as I saw them, I thought that was fun or just a relief. So me as a young girl dying inside, just not wanting to live, I quickly learned that I could take something that would allow me to have fun or to have happiness or to laugh. And so that's where my addiction began. I remember a day that I went down to my father's bar and I snuck a bottle of wine and just the pain that I was in and the trauma that I was in during that time. Um, I drank more than half the bottle and I got really, really drunk. This is starting in the fifth grade. I was in the fifth grade. I was wow. in the fifth grade. Started really, really young. And so that's not the end of the story about that because I didn't just do it at home. I took it to school. Wow. And so I took it to school, got really drunk, and immediately became one of those crying drunks and told everything oh, from no. the household. And so um, the teachers and, of course, the staff got involved because they would have to at that point. Yeah and talked to my parents and pretty much they were mandated ordered to get me some help and so again the family not wanting to expose or talk about things that were going on in the house and it was a, more of a disgrace to my mother um, made me feel really bad when they did take me and I can remember in my mind one day it just clicked and I said you know what no more I don't have to go and in me it's something the way we're created i went into a survival mode from that time on and really in my mind that young i said if they couldn't take care of me i'll take care of myself and from there i started running away from home and hooking up with the wrong people and in the streets and learn more in those streets than i could have ever imagined that i could learn wow. on drugs and alcohol again being a very young girl when I started, so seventh grade, I started running away. So the trauma and all those things started in the fifth grade. By the seventh grade, I was in the streets running away and doing different things. And so out in my addiction for many, many years and in and out of drug treatment centers, psych 
wards, all that. And um, in that I can look back and still see how God kept me because I know without a doubt I shouldn't be here today. And um, just many, many things, terrible things that happened to me on the street, but God's hand I know was on me then. And so I lived in Maryland at the time and in the streets of Washington, D.C. for many years. And I ended up moving out here with an aunt. My My mom actually sent me out here to stay with an aunt. And she was one of those aunts that was supposed to whoop you into shape. And (laughs) you know those. We all got one. (laughs) And so I lasted, I think, maybe about 30 days. And she whooped me all right, right out of that house and put me out. (laughs) And so I was um, out here in California. And I had a really close cousin. And she just couldn't, she could not be that harsh and cruel. She was really concerned about me and found me a place to stay. And she ended up getting a home, and I moved in with her. And so from there, I met my now husband. He was just my boyfriend there, and we ended up moving to Stockton. That's how I ended up in Stockton. But he did not know the depth of my addiction. So I hit it really well because I could still hold a job. I could be high and still working (laughs) and all that old crazy stuff until... I would cross the line sometimes because with addiction, you never really have control. And that's actually one of the reasons that people stay in addiction is because of denial. They think they really have control over it. So during the times that mine would come out of control, meaning that I couldn't stop, I would just use, 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 use. That's when my boyfriend at the time said, you know, I I can't do that no more. Where this is not going to work. And during that time, I used to pass Christian Life Center going to a graveyard job. And I can remember that is where I began to be drawn by God because I would always pass the church and I started feeling just I didn't know what it was. I know what it is today. But then I would feel like something was wrong. And remember, I was in a denial. I thought, hey, I do this because I want to do it. But it was something deeper that began to start happening within me. And not only that, I started feeling like a hope that there was something better. And I can remember passing the church, and I wouldn't light up and smoke my weed or get high until after I passed the church, <laughs> Nate Mile Road, I'd fire up and go on to work. And so when things got really, really bad, and it was really, you know, my husband which was my boyfriend at the time, just said he was done. I said, will you take me over there to that church? And I can remember my mom tried to talk to him and said, no, put her in a program, because that's all they knew. I would get in trouble. I would get in the depths of my addiction to where I almost, you know, would die or commit suicide, and they put me in a program or in a psych ward. And i go there for a little bit, meet people my age. We'd go out, try to stay clean and sober and get back into the drugs. And so... Thank God, my boyfriend at the time brought me to church. And I remember I pulled up in the little circle there, and we jumped out and asked what time church was. They gave us a time. We showed up on Sunday, went and hid in the balcony. (laughs) But I remember as I sat there, I heard the voice of the Lord, just as we're sitting here talking today. And he said, you're going to be all right. Wow. It's been 34 years ago. Wow. I can't say it was easy. I had struggles. I was in and out. But one thing that I learned and I always teach and I minister today is to just show up. Just show up. I learned. I knew I was at my bottom. I knew there was nothing I could do for myself or 
my boyfriend at the time or my mother or my father, my sister, my brother, the doctors, the programs. There was nothing that anyone could do. And when I heard that voice, there was a peace that went down in my spirit that I can still feel today. And it kept me coming back. And um, with the struggles and just addiction and so on, for the first couple of years, I really struggled. And at one time, I backed up and started messing up. And I can remember thinking that it was better when I was out there because the stress and just the anxieties of life and not knowing how to truly cope or having any coping skills at that young age drove me more and more into the depths of darkness and colder because I was in the church, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord like I should. And I had a lot of relationships with people, but when life really hits, relationships with people in the church will not hold us yeah. or they'll keep us there and we can remain cold, but we know what the word says that it'd be better just to be, what is it? Lukewarm than to be, you know, it's better to be, cold. be hot or cold. Yeah, Preach or cold. It. Give me the word. Don't let me mess up now. <laughs> What's the word? It, it's better to be hot or cold or God's going to spew out our mouth because he doesn't like lukewarm. There it is. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> so it's better to be one of those than where I was at. Yeah. And that was just dying out on the pew. And so eventually I ended up going back out and trying it all over again. But when the Lord has a call on your life, you are not going to go far. And I thank the Lord that he did not allow me to go to the depths to where it cost me my life. But I can remember just some crazy stories when, when I tried to go out. I remember I tried to go out and I was in my car and I was trying to cop some dope and I forgot to turn KYCC off. (laughs) And I remember driving up there trying to get some drugs and the guy got all frustrated and he started yelling at me to turn my radio off. And it was just crazy stuff like that that would always remind me who I was and that I was, I belonged to the Lord. And so as As I tried to go out further, and I know there's people that are hearing me that can relate, you never lose what God has put in you. When we are made new in Christ, that spirit that is within us is within us. And it's only so far you can go. That's why I believe backsliders, when they go, they'll go so much further because they're trying to run and they're trying to escape and they just try to do things that, they really don't even want to do, but it's trying to escape the Holy Ghost. It's trying to escape from the conviction. So long story short, I ended up making some bad choices and I ended up in jail. And while I was in jail and I had never been to jail before out of all those years, I can remember being in jail and have, you know, my little uh, jailmate was in there trying to school me on being in jail <laughs> and what to do and I'll never forget they had these little pencils and some paper and they were saying you could write home or write letters and things like that and something came to me and I know I understand the prodigal son today when you come to yourself and in that jail I came to myself and I really looked at where I was at and what I had in God And where I was going back to, which was nowhere. And I made a decision there. I cannot stay here. 
And I remember just praying and crying out to the Lord. And I always share that there's, I believe there's two cries that Christians will give. You got the cry of being defeated, the cry of the pity pot. And, you know, not wanting to change, not taking any responsibility, wanting everybody to feel sorry. And there's a cry of war. There's a cry that cries out when the word of God lets us know when we cry unto the Lord in our trouble that he'll save us from our distresses. He'll send a word that will heal and deliver us from our destruction in Psalm 107. And I cried out to the Lord and he sent a word. And I remember saying to myself, I won't be writing no letters, but I am going to write the word of God. And every yep. word that was hidden within my heart, I wrote on that paper. I still have it today. <laughs> I wrote on that paper, greater is he that is in me than he yep. that is in this world. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Amen. Everything I remembered in, in my heart that I had hidden that had brought me to God in the beginning, the scriptures that I had quoted and I said that kept me up to the point that I had walked away from God was the same word that brought me back and began to heal and help me then. And so from that time to where I say I am today, I've learned so much. And I can really encourage people to say, we can go through some hard times in life and we can, we may think it's even over, but it's not over. And so I want to speak to somebody today just to say, it's not over. I don't care right. what a person comes from. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, last name is, what job you have, what car you have, or you do have or don't have, you know, what house you have or don't have. It doesn't matter. You can be under a bridge when God calls us. Mm -hmm. Amen. He's going to do the rest. And it's just coming to that place for us to know that only he can do some things within us. And so I think after that time, I don't think I know after that time is where I really began to live for God and develop a relationship. And not only that, because of what happened in that jail cell, I learned the power of the word of God and knowing it and how to be equipped with it in spiritual warfare. And ever since then, it's been a, it's it's a fight from day to day. And I'm not going to say it's a hard fight. It's a matter of knowing the word and applying it to whatever opposition that is trying to come against me. And that's the same, I believe, for all of us. Wow. So I'm here now. We started um, Freedom Ministries after that. And with Freedom Ministries, um, it became a program that is an alternative to programs that are usually court ordered or where people have to go to 12 steps or AA or they get mandated to a program, the courts will approve freedom ministries in some cases, not all, but will approve freedom ministries for people to go to wow. and to, you know, be able to provide whatever it is that they're requiring them to do. And so that's and, awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm excited. So we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary in September, which is actually this month in a couple of weeks. We'll be celebrating 10 years. And wow. we've had a amazing success. Amazing success. Wow. Because it's not a program. <laughs> it's Jesus that yes. saves and delivers. Amen. I, um, so you were talking about how you had a relationship with the people in the church mm -hmm. and not yeah. with... Um, really God, a good relationship with him. Um, what would you say? Cause honestly, I feel like that's a lesson I've been learning lately mm -hmm. is relationship over everything. Oh, Cause yes. I feel like I'll put 
the ministry or the call like yes. ahead of my relationship mm-hmm. and i had to take a step back and i was like am i putting like yeah. my job and my call above my relationship with god it's supposed mm-hmm. to be an overflow of it right and so lately i feel like that's been a theme that's been hitting everywhere mm-hmm. and um what would you say i guess to the person that is not so focused on their call because you said you were focused on like, oh, I was focused on my relationships in the church. Mm-hmm. Didn't really focus on my relationship with God. Um, what would you say to the person, I guess, to like give them, what would you call encouragement before they have to go to the step that you went through to go to right. jail to realize I need my relationship with God? I, what I would say is that they have to make sure that they're maintaining their salvation. I call it maintaining salvation, and there's things that we should be doing that's daily, really. Mm-hmm. And some people say, like I did before I, I got out there, well, maybe it doesn't take all that because you start getting burned out. Yeah. And things can just become dull without a relationship with the Lord. So the things that we've got to do, we have to do, is that we're in our word and that we're praying that Mm -hmm. we have a prayer life that's huge that i mean that is huge and people sometimes wonder well what do i say in prayer a lot of newcomers will come and say that even in freedom you know they don't pray because they don't think they know how to pray Mm -hmm. but it's just as simple as communicating with the lord just like you have relationship with anybody close to you you should have that same type of relationship with the lord if not more and when i say relationship it's the communication It's a time that we just sit quietly and maybe we don't have anything to say, but you can just sit quietly and you can listen and hear what the Lord has to say. Just taking the time, taking the time. And I remember I was just so busy running, you know, to work and I had 10,000 things to do and was feeling like I didn't have time to do it. But when you start becoming overwhelmed, when anxiety starts coming in your life, some people start getting panicky or panic attacks and mm-hmm. things like that, and they just don't want to do it anymore. When you start really struggling that, man, I don't want to go to church and, you know, things like that, those are signs, flags that we really need to take a look at to say, you know what, hold up, wait a minute, let me just stop and take that day or take that a day or two with the Lord. Prayer and fasting is key too. But I would really say relationship, you know, just keeping it simple because sometimes I think as Christians we complicate things mm-hmm. where people don't get it. Yeah. But keeping it very simple, the relationship that you have with your best friend should be the relationship, if not more, that we have with the Lord and right. having that desire to be with Him. I know um, another thought is that. Sometimes we may not feel like it. And so I always tell people, feelings come and feelings go. Don't base your life in the decisions that you make on how you feel. I can wake up in the morning and feel bad because I ate the wrong food the day before. (laughs) (laughs) For real. (laughs) Or I could wake up and just be happy because the sun's out and I feel good today. And I'm going to, I don't know, going to my favorite restaurant. I feel good or whatever. Feelings come and feelings go. But the consistency in our relationship with the Lord is of most importance within our life. So just making sure we have the consistency and not basing it upon how we feel. 
Cause that even goes. We could we could take that to church. We can come yeah. to church sometime. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't <laughs> feel like praising. That's the very time you need to get a crazy praise mm-hmm. on and act like you lost your mind. Because <laughs> you'll praise yourself out of it. That's right. You will. You'll do just do the opposite of what you feel, and that's that's where we're overcomers. You know, they talk about overcomers. We overcome. We're more than overcomers when we can do that. When we can go outside of what we feel. Amen. Right. So. <laughs> so there's people watching online, even listening, where they blame God for the situation they've been through. You know, like they've probably gone through <coughs> abusive families, kind of like you, or mm-hmm. they've been sexually abused or just something bad happened to them. They blame God. Mm-hmm. So what advice or what type of encouragement would you give them who they have hidden hate, I guess, or just anger and bitterness towards him? Right. What I do, because I've been in situations like that and they have, I've, counsel with some people who have been through some devastating situations and when they blame God that's a deep one and what I'll do is I take them back to Genesis really and walk them through we're in a fallen world God doesn't make nobody do anything he's a gentleman everybody has a choice and so taking them back to the understanding because a lot of times when they say that they're saying it out of what Feelings, emotions, something someone else said, blaming, maybe not taking responsibility for things that they did or that they feel they were responsible for. They're they're negating or, or trying to go around that. But when we can bring the understanding of what it really is and the understanding is that we live in a fallen world and that Satan is the God of this world in Second yep. Corinthians, that it's not God that is making evil things happen, but it's the people in the world who are making choices to do evil things. And so, um, yeah, that, that's basically what I do. It's just taking them back to help them get the understanding of the word. And in doing that, sometimes people can, and I've walked in situations where, what do I say? But in those situations, let God be God. You know, sometimes it's just really praying and you have to just use wisdom on when you're able to teach and say, because our presence can really be a great support in just having the Holy Ghost. It, it can change the atmosphere in the room. So I hope that answered that one. <laughs> did, yeah. So some of the things that I have on deliverance that I'll share are just nuggets that I teach in the ministry. One is why people don't get delivered, because it's really important when a person comes and they're struggling and and they don't want it. A lot of times family members will come heartbroken that they want someone to receive what we have, but they won't come to church Mm. or they don't want they don't want to hear anything about it. They won't get help and understanding two reasons why people don't get help is one. They don't believe they have a problem. They're in denial. They think they have control over the situation, over the drugs. That's just who they want to be. And then the second one is fear, fear of the withdrawal. Mm. And because when a person is on drugs, when a person is on alcohol, then they're, when they stop, then the body begins to respond to them not having that, that drug in their system anymore. And it's not uncomfortable. It brings a lot of anxiety. And a person can feel like they're losing their mind sometimes, depending on what drugs they're on. And so really knowing how to get help and assistance with that. And sometimes uh, there's a whole vast 
area of things that they can do. I know people that went to an altar, got delivered that day, and they never had a desire for a crave again. I've been to an altar high on drugs, and <laughs> man of God laid his hand on me, and I compl- I immediately sobered up. Wow. So that knowing the power of God, number one, can do it, then that's the first thing. Other people, and I don't say no to this, some people go to a doctor, and the doctor um, may suggest some things, um, whether it be for melatonin or something else. With that, you just don't know, especially in this day and age, it's very different than when I used to be out there on drugs. When I was out there on drugs, we I called it homegrown weed. <laughs> it was that, that simple weed that was grown in the backyard somewhere. <laughs> you know, now it's a, a whole nother level. But this marijuana that they have now, and I won't get into the detail because I can't really even explain it, but I do know that they're able to separate it out, you know, and put chemicals in it. And not only that, a lot of people are dealing with psychosis from it where they are really dealing with mental illness. And this, I'm just talking about marijuana. And so that's not even putting everything else, you know, that people are are tapping into and that they're doing. But everybody may not make it to that altar. And so if you have a loved one that's dealing with addiction, then if they'll go to the doctor, a doctor will give them more help than them streets. Hmm. And so that's um, one of my nuggets there. And then the other thing is the process to deliverance. I believe that deliverance is a process. When the children of Israel left Egypt, God allowed them to come out, delivered them from Egypt. They were delivered the the moment they stepped foot out of Egypt, they were delivered. But this wasn't. Their mentality was still desiring the fruits and the things of Egypt, the life that they had there. And so that's another thing that has to happen is that we have to go into be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind so a person can stop drinking and stop using drugs but the behavior doesn't change they Mm -hmm. just become more evil i've had a lady tell me her husband stopped drinking and he hasn't been drinking but he's mean as a rattlesnake and she wish he'd (laughs) go on to have a beer (laughs) so you know there's there's some other things that have to change within a person Drugs and alcohol are usually just a symptom to something else that's deeper. And the deeper is what God is able to heal and to deliver, and it's usually an issue within the heart. And so that's something that we deal with in Freedom Ministry is really dealing with the issues of in the heart. And in dealing with the issues of the heart, that's where the Lord can come in and heal. And so the very thing that is that trigger or the reason why a person drinks or uses once that is healed, they'll see that they have no more need for this other thing that keeps now they see causing the problems. Mm. So the, a lot of times it's not the issues that cause the problems. It's that addiction that is causing the problems. And they can see a little bit more clear. But once God heals and delivers, it's a wrap. It's a wrap wow. because once a person has that experience with the Lord, the desire for him more than what they have been do, doing is going to always exceed. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like a lot of people don't realize even just on themselves what addiction mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had a family member, <clears throat> a close family member, where they were heavily addicted to uh, drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I don't think that person realized how much it would affect me. Uh-huh. And um, it's just, I feel like when a lot of people make that decision, they don't realize you're not only affecting yourself, you're affecting a lot of other people. And because right. of their decisions, mm-hmm. I feel like I've been put through like a lot of mountains myself. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, yeah oh, I. Yeah. It sucks. Oh, yeah. Yes, (laughs) it does. Yes, it does. One thing with addiction is that people go and they play with it. Mm -hmm. Well, that first drink or I think crack was one of the drugs that just was known to immediately addict somebody Mm -hmm. after the first hit of crack. Um, The alcohol or whatever. But what happens that I see and what I know is that a person will play with it. But there's a fine line that they cross over before they actually become addicted. When they become addicted, then they enjoy the addiction. It gives the euphoria and they're chasing after that. So when they really see that it's a problem, if they are honest, then now they're dealing with the withdrawal, the addiction physically. It's just not mental now. There's a physical addiction that the body craves it, the body needs it. And so that is where a person can continue in a way in an addiction and they'll hurt other people that are close to them or people that they really love. They love them, but they just don't know how to get off of this wheel of addiction. And so that's where, you know, we come back to that denial and things like that. And I always say the first step to deliverance is honesty. When a person comes in and they are honest about where they are honest that they are addicted, that's the first step that has to happen. And then um, another thing is the fruits of repentance. And I just want to read this if that's okay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11, it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And I believe that these are the fruits of repentance. First of all, godly sorrow worketh repentance. They got to have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow works repentance to life. Where the worldly sorrow, where it's just, I'm sorry, and this is where you may see a lot of people that are just caught up in addiction and they make mistakes or they hurt loved ones or they do things that they shouldn't be doing. And they're always saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it's really something taught at that point. That's that worldly sorrow. When we're little, we're taught to say, if, if Betty hits Bobby and mom says, hey, Bobby, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're told to. So it's a taught thing to say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. because they think it's going to get them off. But the word lets us know, no, 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 that's not it. It's godly sorrow that we need within our heart. We have to be godly sorrow for the actions that we're committing. We have to be godly sorrow for this addiction. We have to be godly sorrow that we even allowed ourselves to get caught up in it. Now, when a person is godly sorrow has godly sorrow and the fruits of repentance come, this is how you know if they're serious. So this is key. You know that they're serious about leaving this addiction because what will happen? The fruits of repentance. For behold, the self-same thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort will do what? Start making them more careful. 
start making them more careful. They start clearing. It says, it wrought in you, yea, a clearing of yourselves, an indignation of fear, a more reverence for God, a vehement desire, a zeal, a revenge. These things begin to work. Now, I'm not going to go to the liquor store no more. If I have godly sorrow, that's work repentance in my life. I'm more careful about what I'm doing. The second thing is knowing their level of consecration. Level of consecration for me is I can't go everywhere everybody else goes because it's going to affect me differently. I'm not going to talk to everybody that everybody else can. I'm not going to listen to certain conversations because I know what it's going to cause within me or the struggle that it may start causing within me because of where I come from. So again, godly sorrow that worketh repentance will begin to show fruits of repentance. And some people have told me, well, I, you know, I'm not sorry about this or I don't forgive. And I tell people you have not because you ask not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just simply don't ask God because there's some things. And, and I can tell you with my abuser, I hated my abuser when I came to God. And the Lord came and reminded me of his name one time while I was dancing and praying and singing. He brought his name to my mind. I was just like, oh, <laughs> don't ask me that one, mm-hmm. you know, and I love God so much that I just I remember I began to cry and ask him to help me ask. Because it wasn't within me. I know what was within me. But when I asked God to help, he helped. He'll do the exceeding. Hallelujah. He will do the exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. It's that greater that is within us than he that is in the world that allows us to do all things. And so just being able to ask God and godly sorrow having patience with ourselves, practicing some disciplines and um, self-control. Those are the things that lead us out of that addiction. And then, of course, support. And that's where I know we have wonderful, great men and women of God that, you know, are there to support people and know how to pray and encourage them. So that person that I was talking about was heavily addicted to cocaine Mm -hmm. uh, and weed, obviously. But um, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I think he might drink a little alcohol here and there, but he would get his paycheck and he would go blow the entire paycheck mm-hmm. on oh, cocaine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Disappear for a couple of days and stuff like that. And then come back home. Yeah. Um, my mom was like, where were you? Where were you? And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So eventually um, they got a divorce and he was probably out of my life, the majority of my life. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed a lot of things out throughout my life. I was like, okay, like, this is why I deal with this. This is why I deal with this. Why I deal with this. Uh-huh, it's like, uh-huh. and I was like so angry all uh-huh. the time. I was like, oh, oh yeah. Like, thanks. Like, I kind of like pinned it in my head. Like, oh, you chose drugs over your child. Like, right, like I right. couldn't understand the addiction. Yes. yes. And um, it made uh-huh. me mad. And I remember at Lifeline conference, prob- it was last year that I was praying. I just remember for years, like I would pity myself and be uh-huh. like, thanks a lot. Like, yeah, uh, this is why I deal with this. This is this. And, right. I realized at Lifeline Conference, honestly, I don't know how I could be mad at someone like I hardly ever see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I realized like, you know what? I'm bitter at God. Mm-hmm. And I was mad. I was like, you put me in this situation. Right. You like, you knew this was going to happen. Right. And so, oh, here's a good question. Okay. How would you use the circumstance and the trial and the mountain that was put in front of you to help others today? Um, and... Cause that's what I'm still trying to do. I'm trying to mm-hmm. think like, how am I going to use 
this mm-hmm. situation that I was put in by someone who uh, had an addiction and the struggles that I had to go through in the mountains that I had to climb because of that person's choices. Right. How do I use what I've been through to help someone else? Right. And how do you like conquer that? Cause even today, like I'm still mm-hmm. like thoughts will run through my mind and I'm just like, am I free or not? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, how do I do this day to day? Like, I feel like, am I ever going to like, are these thoughts ever going to go away? Am I ever going to get over this? It's right. like, I pray all the time. It's like, is this my thorn in my flesh? Mm-hmm. Or like, God, mm-hmm. can you remove it mm-hmm. and give me a different thorn in the flesh? Like, right. I want right. to be past the stage of my life. I don't want to keep right. remembering that. How do right. you like, I guess like unload it to God? How do you get, like almost like get rid of this? Like I pray all the time, like God, take it away. But I feel like that's right. just too easy right. for God to just take it away. It, right you have to, you got to fight for it. And like, so how do you teach someone to like, I guess, pick up their sword and fight mm-hmm. in war after this mm-hmm. because of either an addiction that you have gone through mm-hmm. or an addiction from someone else and now it's affected you? Right, right. Very, very good question. Wow, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> very good question because I do deal with children that come from abusive parents that struggle with addiction. And with sin in any of our lives, when we go through something, first of all, the pain is that somebody that your parent that had a responsibility that is what you would expect, that they take up that responsibility. And the way God created the family unit is that you have a mother and that you have a father and that they provide everything that you need so that you can grow, that you can grow whole, that you can grow and be strong or what God has called you to be. You know, the thing is, it goes back to decisions that people make. And so I'll use it, uh, your situation, I'll give you mine as far as with my brother. The expectation is that a bigger brother would protect a sister instead Mm -hmm. of doing the things that my older brother did. And so I first had a lot of unforgiveness. So the first thing I had to do is I had to forgive. The reason I didn't forgive what the Lord showed me is because I still had an expectation to be repaid. Yeah. And so I did not want to let it go or because I felt to forgive was letting him off the hook for what he did. But when I came to the understanding that the reason that I wasn't forgiving was because of something that I had within my heart, because the truth about the matter is that people will go on. They ain't thinking about us, to be honest with you. I'm just going to keep yeah. it real. And so we cannot allow people, places, or things to control us or to control forgiveness because forgiveness is freedom for me. Forgiveness right. is freedom for you. And sometimes we'll say, I forgive, but you truly don't forgive because there's still that expectation that you didn't do this within my life that you should have done. And so after I released the expectation and released my brother and forgave him, and I mean, in my heart, I can see him today and I can give him a hug. I'm not going to allow him around my children, but I have forgiven him and I've released him. I can minister to him. And so once a person can release and forgive and understand that people, people make decisions And whatever reason they made that decision, 
it may not have been personally just against me, but it was because of something that was within them that they made the decision, you know, maybe from what they came from or the way they were brought up. I'll use my mother. My mother wasn't able to love me and to nurture me and to help me through that because she never had that. Mm -hmm. And so I had forgiving to do for my mother who allowed this to happen because at some point she did know about it because I told her years prior to actually coming out. And so I had to really go through a time to process things. And in processing things, I did a lot of writing and I let everything within my heart come out, writing it all out, just getting it out. Because sometimes we'll say, and this is where some people in the church go wrong. Oh, just forget about it. Get over it. You know, God heals, God delivers. Just get over it. Don't even talk about it. I've had people come that have been in the church for years and they'll say, well, I was told I shouldn't even talk about it or shouldn't even think about it. Wrong answer. It's still in your heart and it's going to surface. And that's why when you get to a place where God is trying to take you higher, it's almost like a, uh, a stop. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't can't get any higher you can't go beyond because it's still that thing that is within our heart that has to be processed out and the processing of it can come through just talking about it but at the end of the day you got to be able to take the word of God and apply it to whatever that situation is and there is a word of God for every situation that we go through within our life because the enemy is going to come back the minute we say we're healed the minute I say yep. I'm free the minute I say I forgive comes the test yep you're going to be tested and when that test comes and you know I've been healed delivered and free the thing that I'm going to come back to the enemy with is the word of God by his stripes I'm healed if I'm feeling sick <laughs> gotta call by his stripes I'm healed mm -hmm. I'm going to come back with the word of God and just continue to apply that. The other thing that I would use is Second Corinthians, casting down the imagination. Because things that aren't real, once God has healed you and delivered you, then the enemy again comes back to test and remind you of things. Yep. And when he reminds you of it, if you receive it like and question, because remember, the enemy wants you to question God's healing mm -hmm. and God's deliverance, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. His game don't change. Just yep. like he had Eve questioning God's word and what Adam had told her, he wants us to question, is it real? Have you really let, do you remember and all that? And as soon as that comes, casting down the imagination against every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Yes, I'm healed. Yes, I'm delivered. Once you've processed it, when I say process it, everybody is individual in that and I've noticed that people process differently and I usually just take time in counseling people and letting them talk and me asking questions to bring other things out that they may not have really thought about but um, yeah so processing it with the word of God and just making sure that it's processed properly I'll give two scriptures on that because in everything I say with the word of God I always say I'll book it because you need the word of God that's to right. apply it because yeah. people can tell you anything and if you don't have the word that supports it then it will hold nothing and so with the scripture forget there are some things that we have to forget because when people come and well they told me to forget well there are some things you should forget those things that are sins and weight that so easily beset you almost definitely let those things yeah. go so where the word says um, I pressed 
Forgetting those things which are behind, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then we're pressing. So, yeah, we're forgetting the stuff that behind that is a hindrance or that is a weight. But at the same time, in Deuteronomy 4, 9, it says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things that our eyes have seen, and lest they depart from the thy heart all the days of thy life what that means is we shouldn't forget everything that our eyes have seen what keeps me here today is because i remember where i've been and what my eyes have seen and so where this ties into healing and deliverance is some things as god heals you we forget them put that stuff behind us and we don't look back But the things that we have to remember could be those good things or the things that have taught us. And that is the actual deliverance. I don't want to forget my deliverance, Mm -hmm. even though it was hard. And some of the things I went through, I don't want to forget those things because that's the thing that keeps me. But at the same time, I have the word of God that supports any of it before the enemy can come in my heart to make me feel bad or it begin to destroy me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you already answered this, but how do you know when you're at the point of where you're delivered to where you can put it behind you? Because I still feel like there's sometimes today where I like these thoughts will come to my mind and doubts. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. thought thought we were done with this, Mm -hmm. but it clearly, I don't know, I guess not. Right. So how do you know when like you're done? Because the pain of it isn't there anymore. Okay. The, The actual pain the hurt, the disappointment of it isn't there. You can remember that it hurt and what happened, like with my brother, when I talk about him, I'm fine talking about him. There was a time I couldn't because there was so much hatred there and anger and hurt. But I can talk about him today, and that's nowhere. I I don't have that anymore because I've been healed. So now I can take that and I can go talk to another person who's been abused or molested or any of that. And I have the power and the authority over that spirit, over that enemy in order to help them come out. That's where we want to get to as saints of God, having the power and authority. And what I teach is on the ground that you stand on. Say, for instance, if someone says, I'm delivered from drugs and alcohol, you sure better own that ground. And that means that I don't drink wine. I don't use cooking oil. I take it all. I don't use anything that's alcohol. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I stand on the ground that I stand. Uh, that I stand and own the ground that I stand on because I don't partake of any of that. Right. So put so. up like boundaries and don't even like dance around even things. That's right. Okay. It's places I don't go. You're not going to see Sister Butler <laughs> there. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm not going into no smoke shop because I need a water. I could be dying of thirst. You ain't going to catch me up in the smoke shop to get that water. I'm going to walk that extra mile. I might be passed out on the ground. Y'all revive me, but I ain't going. Yeah. Right. Certain things I'm not going to do. Yes. Amen. But uh, did that answer your question? Yes, it okay. did. There was, um, I don't know if this is off topic, but there was something that you said last night where, um, cause you said you wouldn't catch me in a smoke shop. Um, mm-hmm. you said when you walked into church, cause you were like, Oh, it's kind of like, this, what'd you say? Something oh, about okay. the club? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause every, 
<laughs> everybody was dancing and praying and praising the Lord. I remember when I walked in and the churches I had been to, I'd never seen nothing like that where they were clapping and just being so exuberant and jumping and shouting and screaming, you know, having a good time. So when I came in, I was like, whoa, all right, they're having a good time up in here. This might be something I can do, you know. And um, because I came from having a good time yep. out in the world. But in that, I came in and it was more of you could feel a good presence. So it wasn't like the club, but you could feel something good and you could see. Check this out. People were happy. Yeah. People were excited. They weren't sitting up there just. You know, just yeah. stale and dry. And they gave me, they, they portrayed something I wanted. Mm -hmm. That would be the best way to say it. And I tell people, even as the ones came out there with the signs, I said, make sure you got something on your face that will encourage somebody to want what you got. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we have to do that. Because as saints, sometimes we can get dried up and hard and stale and mean and nasty. I, mm -hmm. I mean, it's true. <laughs> you know, you can walk by somebody in the grocery store and I've had, and I know I'm off topic now, but I'll <laughs> say it anyway. <laughs> but be at the store and I'll I never forget. The sister was really upset because she was saying this sister didn't speak to her, you know, in the store. And I'm more, I keep it real. And so she came on her pity pot. She never speaks to me and all that. And I said, well, well wait. Did you speak to her? Because mm. we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> and so it's just keeping people real and, um, yeah, keeping it real and living and being true to God. And when we say we love that we love, I got way off topic. Well, that was, was good. A lot of that. good nuggets in here. <laughs> we have a question. You don't have to use this if you don't want to. This is just for me. I thought yeah. this was so interesting. Yeah. So when you talk about your brother, I think that is such a revelation for people who have been hurt and wounded or in, in situations mm, of abuse that you would have this this expectation and to feel that if I were to give them forgiveness, it is okay what happened to me. I think that is just like, it, it's so profound to me because can I know you, so can many Can you just people, come over here real quick? But I think that I, I mean, even within my own family and people mm -hmm. that I know, that's such a revelation that you could acknowledge, even Chris, like with your dad, mm -hmm. what he did to me was wrong. And that's me right. forgiving is not is not okaying that behavior that's right with people that you've dealt with in scenarios like that do you feel like that is the biggest hindrance is that i feel like i can't forgive because i'm okaying that behavior or what what do you think would be mm. the, the biggest hurdle for people in situations like that or that you've seen 80 percent of it is that if i forgive i'm saying it's okay the other 20 i would say is because of the expectation to be repaid they're actually waiting. You got to do something to repay. I just can't go out like that. I just can't let that go because I'm messed up. I'm hurt. Look how you left me. Look at all the stuff that I missed in my life that you caused me. And I felt that against my brother. I would look at my high school years and how I was so self-destructive in myself. But he caused that. I would, he caused that. It's because of him that I was like this. And the other thing is this. It gives people also an excuse to stay in a low place. It gives them the excuse not to do no better than what they're doing. 
So you got a, a couple of things, and that's where I say honesty is the first thing. And them being able to say, this is what it is. Because I had to take responsibility in really all three of those areas because my brother allowed me to continue to use drugs. So when people came and called me on it, then I rolled down everything that happened. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. You want me to stop? Well, let me tell you why I use. And I would shut him down every time because my story was so terrible. You know, and I bring him on in and he was the, hey, the thing that, that turned it. And a lot of times I could shut people down. They wouldn't know what to say. Especially, well, the unsaved wouldn't in counseling and stuff like that. And then the other thing was I really believed I needed to be repaid. I had so much hurt from a young age. And you got to remember, a young mind can only process so much, so much. And then you're left with however you processed it at however old you were to be able to understand it. And so that little understanding can now be the belief that's in the heart. And it's an immature understanding, too, but you're going to hold to it because of the pain that put it there. And so, um, most definitely, most definitely. But forgiveness is so freeing. Oh, my goodness. When I forgave him, I felt a release like never before, and it never came back. Never wow. came back. And so today, I got the power and authority to help other people come out of that. And a lot of times, I, I even say, because with my brother, I had to call him and tell him I forgive you. He was—he hadn't heard from me in years, and he was so shocked to even hear me. I had to call my mom to get his number. And when I called him, I did ask him why, because I, I felt he owed me a reason. Why did you do that? You know, and he had a foolish answer that still today is just like airhead. But anyways... <laughs> Um, just nothing that did nothing for me or that could even touch or explain his behavior. But I got to ask the question because I now I had some control and I had a right that I could ask before, you know, everything adds up. You can't say anything. No, I can ask. And so I asked him. He gave his answer and I told him I forgave him and I told him that Christ could deliver him and save him the same way he did for me. And I tell you, the freedom, nothing like it, nothing like it. And I tell people because when I called my brother, he was doing his same thing. Even till this day, he still is out there and wow. in bad situations. He's much older than me. And he's still out there in sin. And just to me, his life, his life is disgusting. But... With that, I, you know, I could, if he came to an altar, I'd pray him through in the name of Jesus. Amen. Dry that devil out and pray him right on through. But one of the things we got to remember sometimes, we think that person is over there holding, like I was saying, we're expecting that, you know, repayment or whatever. They don't have no repayment. And a lot of times, with my brother, I can say this, he wasn't thinking about me. He was doing what he was doing. I was the old, I was mm -hmm. the one over there self-destructing. He gone on with his life. And so many people waste so many years of their life with that worrying about somebody else that doesn't have the power or the authority to change anything that happened. Right. It's done. It's gone. And I say that a lot in the ministry when I'm ministering. I got to get people to see. It's nothing you can do about it. It's over. 
Come on into today. Today you have. You have today to be great and to do great things. Don't let that mess hold you back mm-hmm. and be a weight and you don't be able to soar and grow and mature and uh, walk into the exceedingly abundantly above all that the Lord we could ask or think. Don't let that be a hindrance. So I drill that one and you can see the light bulbs coming on when I'm saying it. They ain't thinking about you. Get 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 past it. But in that heal because the only way you're going to truly come past it is that you heal. Repeat, I'll say repeat offenders or people that get the healing and you know they got the healing and they're doing good. And then months later, I see them back in my office. What happened? I know that you were delivered. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They did not allow the word of God to transform. They got that warm little fuzzy fuzzy. Oh, thank you, God. They felt so good. They felt so free. But they failed to apply the word of God when the enemy came to test whether you really forgave. What they that enemy starts speaking, they start playing the role all the way back again. Everything that happened, absolutely not. I'm not going to allow that in my mind. I'm not going to allow those thoughts within my heart. I know who I am in God. Right. I'm the head. I am not the tail. I'm the righteous who will not be forsaken by God. I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future. I'm in my future. Yeah. I'm not going back to the past. That's old. Mm -hmm. Ain't nothing nobody can do about that. But I can do everything about right now. And so getting to that place and walking in that authority, I tell you, is a freedom, a power, and authority in Christ that until you let it go and truly forgive, you'll be stuck. That was that was amazing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Do you, do you have anything else before we close? Let me see. I think <laughs> that might be about it, level consecration. Just knowing... Um, there's nothing greater than God's love. Yeah. I don't care what we've done. A lot of times people have a lot of stuff that they're carrying and coming in with that the enemy is just going to whoop them, whoop them. Remember you did this. Remember you did that. And I can remember when I made a mistake one time in my life and I was so hard on myself. And I kept saying, I can't forgive myself because I did this. It was me. It's different when you're forgiving somebody else, but mm-hmm. I had done so much wrong. And I was responsible for it. And I just could not shake that. And I remember I was talking to um, a pastor and he said, let me ask you a question. If God can forgive you, who are you that you cannot forgive yourself? And that stuck to me. And I said, that's right. So a lot of times people come in with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And they struggle with forgiving themselves, especially parents. Mm -hmm. Those are probably some of the harder ones that have come come into my doors are parents who have failed their children. And I've seen them weep and cry because they know there's nothing that they can do to change it. And the thing is, those parents, because of the order, God's order doesn't change. They feel it. They oh. know it. They might run from it and use themselves, poor little selves to death, but that conviction... That conviction, it, it, it comes back. 
I truly believe it does. And I've seen it time and time again. And it's a, a heartbreaking thing. But I've seen parents restored with their children, too. But it takes the child to forgive. And when that child forgives, sometimes that's the very thing that will break the chain off of that parent. So I've seen that, too. Wow. So, yeah. God is able. Amen. God is able. Amen. Wow, that has been it. This has been a powerful episode. <laughs> I really like this one a lot. I'm Amen. so thankful for you being here today. Amen. I'm hoping you can come again because <laughs> this, this was great. <laughs> I'm happy to have you on thank episode you. 10 of Out of the Vote. Amen. Thank you. It has been an honor and thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>